And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spataro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and that's Scott Gardner. Hello! How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am Billless. <laughs> yes, Bill is on assignment. And by on assignment I mean he's probably on the can somewhere. I'm I'm picturing him like in a food coma with like <laughs> like orange cheese doodle dust all over him. <laughs> like that scene in Toy Story 2 where yes. Al's passed out on the couch. Exactly. <laughs> now, I'm probably being very unfair to Bill by thinking that, but it is an amusing image. I don't know. And you've I... met Bill, right? Hmm? <laughs> I said, you've met Bill. Are you really being unfair? Well, it's, you know, Bill has his own crosses to bear. He doesn't need me giving him additional ones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know why I'm ragging on him tonight. I shouldn't. It's but it's fun. You know why? <laughs> because we love him. That's why we rag on him. That is true. He's he's <laughs> he, he's, he's after you and I. He's my favorite host of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Right? Me, you, Mike. Uh, who was that guy in the very beginning? <laughs> Who the, the who were the guest host? It was Luke. <laughs> <laughs> the Super Future Friends. I haven't had a new show in like seven years. Yeah. <laughs> so did did you? I don't know if you listened to the episode, but uh, Gene had done uh, a database on the uh, episodes, mm -hmm. and you were officially number three on hosting duties now. Y yeah, you know, you really didn't need to bring that up. Yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of sore. I, I half jokingly gave Gene shit about that and told him he needed to do a recount. <laughs> On a recount. Well, I, I don't know if you get extra credit for, uh, for, for being being an original host. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just I, that really was kind of mind blowing, though. I'm like, really? Because I mean, I feel like I've been here. You know, <laughs> I, I guess it's just because I've been here since the beginning, but I mean, I, have I really missed that many episodes that you guys have now actually, you know, overtaken me? You so you've you've actually had. Let me think. You would have had to have at least as many episodes without me as I did before you guys even joined the show, and that just doesn't seem possible to me. But I guess it could be. I mean, how what what episode were we at when when you came on? It was like eighty something, right? 86. Yeah, I mean, so... Uh, well, I really can't remember, in, in, in those first 85, there was probably about, uh, I'm going to just guess, 15 episodes that you weren't even on. That How? You, you had, you know, Luke did a couple of solo shows. Uh, I know that Mike did a couple. Yeah. 
Yeah, now that you say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I guess you're, yeah, I wasn't on every single one of those either, I guess, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it's one of those things where that was always the nature of the show anyway. You know, I, I, you know, while I'm very proud of being one of the original hosts, I have to confess, and I think I've said this on other shows too, I, I mean, I didn't come up with the idea of the show. But what, what's very ironic about this show is how long-lived it is when the guy who actually thought up the show only lasted, what was it, 18 episodes and then bailed, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is actually Alex's show. I mean, he's the one that actually came up with the idea, but um, I don't remember if he was part of this conversation or not. I, I know Mike was at the very least, is that I always liked the idea that the show didn't really belong to anybody, that, you know... It, it could it could change and mutate and you know other people could drop in and drop out and I, I kind of like that idea that the show could exist without us you know what I mean I'm fine with that when I decide to walk away <laughs> right. I'm not so thrilled about it with you know as long as I want to keep doing it right you know there will come a day I don't know when that'll be but there'll come a day where I've kind of had enough I'm oh, no, sure you keep saying that well I just you know I want people to beg me to stay I guess I don't know. <laughs> Ah, we get to the truth. Okay. To, to be fair, I don't plan on going anywhere right now. I mean, that's you know, let me let me you know make that clear. I'm not looking to hang it up, but I do acknowledge the fact that eventually, at some point, either I'm going to decide to stop or I'm going to drop dead one day. I mean, it's I'm not going <laughs> to live forever doing the show. It's at some point I'm not going to be doing it, whenever that may be. Well, you know, there, I was thinking about this the other day. And about I mean, me dropping dead? Thanks for the love, man. Yeah, keep shit up, yeah. But no, I was thinking about, um, you know, about, you know, that the, there being, a, you know, a finite time of, of you know, podcasting and, and all that sort of thing. And then I got to thinking that, you know, every time I think that, then ideas start going off in my head of all the things that, despite all the years that we've been doing this and all the things that we've gone over, Man, there is a crazy long list of things we've never touched on that I still want to do. You know, other other you know books and projects and stories and you know just ideas. So I I, I don't know. I mean, I may have slowed down, but I'm I'm not done. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. there's there's other things I really want to do. You know, not the least of which is at, at some at some point someday I really do do want to try to do like the the definitive you know, ultimate crisis podcast, you know, whatever, whatever form that takes. Um, but I mean, there's, there's lots of other ideas like that, that I'd like to do, you know, so and it's just a matter there of some ideas, getting around to it. There's some ideas that I know there's things out there that we haven't even thought of that I know are going to come to us. For example, right. the top five lists that we are going to do on the next show. Like, that hadn't even occurred to me until we started talking about it recently, and I don't know if I should reveal what that is. I, I don't know. That one That one really, that one makes me nervous, because I don't know if I can do it, you know? Oh, you could do it. I just did it. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> it's it's uh, <laughs> history of the world. Um, I think that particular, should I share it or no? I don't, I don't what do you think? Yeah, go ahead. We're going to do our top five Warner Brothers slash, not Warner Brothers, uh, Looney Tunes slash Merry Melodies cartoons. I think by its very nature, it I can't limit myself to a top five. So I think what I'll do is I'll do my top five, but I'll ha- probably have 
anywhere from five to twenty in my uh, honorable mention list. I think what's going to make it hard for me is that there's no readily, at least that I can find, there's no readily available database where you can just sit down and go, you know what, let me just watch them all again one time and, and figure it out. You know, I'm going to have to go completely on memory because you just can't find these damn things anywhere for free anymore. Well, I, mean, I, think, I, I think if, you know, I did find that list on uh, on Wikipedia of episodes, and I'm thinking if there's any that you wanted to rewatch, you could probably find them on YouTube. I don't know. Every time I think that, though, I mean, YouTube is a great resource, but when it comes to uh, to the Warner Brothers cartoons, I'm finding that uh, it's, it's kind of slim pickings, because uh, they seem like, you know, just kind of reading between the lines, it looks like they're being policed pretty well. You know what I mean? Where, mm -hmm. where Warner Brothers is is defending its its copyright or what you know whatever the case may be, to where there's not, uh, you know, a whole big uh, you know batch of them in there. Because I've looked. Okay, so then maybe I'm maybe I'm off on that. So I'm gonna have to go on memory. I'm gonna have to go on on episode titles and short descriptions, and I'm sure it will not be the definitive list. But I guarantee you, I can give you a top five of episodes that I love. Right. So I'll work with that. that. That's, I think, what it's going to end up being for me is like, here, here's five I can remember off the top of my head really liking type of thing as opposed to, you know, this is the definitive list of, you know, the, the ones I love absolutely the most. Because the other thing, too, is that, you know, I grew up, you know, under the impression that I had seen every single Warner Brothers cartoon because I had always believed that whatever... Saturday morning venue I was watching those old you know the the Bugs Bunny what was it the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show or whatever the hell it was you know the one that started with uh, you know with the song we're always singing um, I was always under the impression they showed them all and no, no, there, there I were others. That, that is not the case at all I mean every so often I still see one that I'm pretty sure I'm seeing for the first time you know well there was also so, there was also the weekday uh, syndication in New York it was on Channel Five. Uh, you know they, right. they'd have a half an hour episode every day, and uh, they'd have two Bugs Bunny cartoons sandwiching a non-Bugs Bunny one. Right. And those were different from the ones you'd see on the uh, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour. Right. So you know, but I I watched that pretty much religiously also. So between the two, I think I've seen at least a very large majority of them. So I, I think I, you know, I, I think if I go over the list, I'll be able to uh, to come up with it. But I, I, I feel compelled to come up with at least fifteen episodes in my top five, <laughs> because my fear is if I ha come up with five, they'll be duplicated between you and Bill, and and right. we won't have enough episodes. Right. So I want to have, I think I want to have at least ten in my honorable mention list. So we'll see. But in the meanwhile, cool. that's probably, as, as you listen to this, that's probably a week or two away. So if you're listening to this, you may want to try and think of what your favorite episodes are, and uh, we can compare. You won't get us your list in time for us to use it for the show, but email us in. Let us know, what, you know what, which ones you have. Cool. So, well, are we ready to dive into this sucker? I think we are. All right. Uh, so, you have the first book, my I friend. got the Marvel, and I got the older books, so I'm first on both fronts. 
And I have Jungle Action number six from September of 1973, which cost 20 whole cents. And it's uh, really the first solo adventure of the Black Panther outside of the one Avengers issue that actually in the Avengers issue I think the other Avengers were there but it was a Black Panther focus so I think this is his first solo story altogether and we have a cover by Rich Buckler and inked by Frank Giacoya it shows the Panther with Eric Killmonger on one side using a sharp studded belt to grab the Panther's left arm and there's a leopard uh, looking to pounce from his right as well the story is titled Panther's Rage. It's written by Don McGregor, art by Rich Buckler, inked by Klaus Jansen, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, colored by Glynis Ween, and edited by Roy Thomas. The story opens with action already underway. There is what appears to be a malnourished man laying prone in a wooden cage suspended from a tree by a rope, and there are two men on the ground. Front and center is the panther swinging in on a rope to take out the two tormentors. He calls them scavengers at that point, so I'm going to kind of go with that as their description. One of them begs for mercy in one breath, but also seeks to attack with the... With the you know, with his second breath, only to be summarily defeated. The Panther releases the captive, who voices his loyalty to Pan the Panther and then promptly passes away. T'Challa carries the man's remains to a Wakandan village. He's told of the threat and treachery of Eric Killmonger, but is also called to task for being away too much and allowing the situations to, to arise. The Panther's love interest at that time, Monica Lynn, who's described as a minor-grade Aretha Franklin, comes in and tries to comfort him. And I have some issues with her uh, psychological uh, thoughts on how, how to comfort somebody in that situation, but we'll get there. <laughs> we, see, we see a village that was destroyed, and the Panther and, the, and four uh, advisors take to the water in some type of Panther boats. Uh, and while they're traveling, they debate Wakandan socio-political circumstances, the distribution of vibranium, outlying villages, and the rise of Eric Killmonger. So we get a lot of exposition there. They observe a survivor of the attack of the village. Panther dives in the water to mount a rescue. We get more exposition about the evil nature of Killmonger. We come upon the two scavengers from the beginning of the story. One of, one of the men is just talking shit and the panther takes them both out with one blow asks where their leader is but before there's any response Killmonger attacks with the same spiked straps that we see on the cover and he's backed up by his leopard he states that the village was meant as a diversion which didn't work panther swings around kicking Killmonger in the face with both feet but it has no effect at all this is followed by an attack by the leopard who manages to claw the panther's chest with both paws Panther fights and slowly gains the upper hand and snaps the leopard's jaw a la King Kong. This works Killmonger into a rage and he lifts up the panther and throws him down a waterfall and the story is to be continued. So, uh, it's, this is a pretty interesting story, I think. Uh, it's, it's really pretty well thought of to this day. I know Don McGregor is on Facebook and he's... Uh, very frequently asked about this whole storyline and I think the uh, fact that Killmonger was brought into 
the Panthers, you know, first movie, I think that had a big, was a big factor in it. Um, I just, I, I find the whole thing pretty interesting. I mean, I love Rich Buckley, you know that. I think it's, I, I had not known that he was inked ever by Klaus Janssen uh, until at one point uh, something came up on Facebook and I had commented to Rich, oh, it would be interesting to see your art inked by Klaus Janssen and he responded to me, oh, just check out Panther's Rage. Uh, and, I, and I do, for the most part, like his artwork in this i like the story i you know it's again it's taking somebody uh who isn't just your typical hero because he's a wakandan king and he's you know putting him back in that situation and making him accountable for the fact that he is away so much which is good you know it's not just being swept under the rug uh from a criticism point of view i think the panther speaks too much like an american uh, in the movies, he seems to, you know, not only does he have the accent, but he seems to have a slightly different way of speaking that kind of presents him as being, you know, from another country that we don't see here. Uh, right. And, and as I said, I, I had some issues with Monica Lynn. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how she did it. Let me turn to the page. Uh, when when he's all upset about this man dying and he starts to talk about it, she's, she says, shh, don't talk, just try and accept it. And I think that's possibly the worst psychological thing you could do. When you're really upset about something and you want to discuss it and you want to get out those feelings, the worst thing you could do is bottle them up and not talk about it. So <laughs> I don't think she's really doing him any favors there, even though she thinks she is. Uh, I, you know, so, it, you know, it's... I guess it's, you know, it was probably McGregor's way of quickly moving on to some other thing because he didn't want to add too much there. Uh... As I said, the the artwork in general I really enjoyed, but on that particular page, the uh, panel in the very center of Panther's face, T'Challa's face, I really just don't like that look there. I don't like the way that came out. Other than that, I pretty much like the artwork throughout this book. Uh, had you ever read this one before now? I, I, not this particular issue, Um it's funny when I got to the end of the issue and it was doing the, the, t or not the end of the issue, but the end of this story, cause there's multiple stories in here. But I, when I got to the end of the story and it was doing the tease for the next issue and it shows the, the villain for the next issue. And, uh, it says, uh, death regiments beneath Wakanda and venom. Now this isn't the Spider-Man venom. This is a different venom. This is venom with two M's. And I saw this dude and I thought, I think I have the next issue of this. And I looked in my database, and sure enough, I have the next issue. Now, this is one of those things where I got that. I, I couldn't tell you how long I've owned that issue. It, it seems like years. It seems like a very long time. And while at that time I had absolutely zero interest in the Black Panther or this storyline or any of these characters or whatever, I kept it for one reason, and that was the beautiful... Uh, Rich Buckler art that was inside and I always thought eh, you know maybe I'll read this one of these days but what I'll, what I'll do is I'll hang on to this and, and see if other issues of, of jungle action ever fall into my lap which unfortunately they haven't and I was just looking on uh, Mike's Amazing World at the rest of the series here and uh, while Buckler is only on it for this issue the next issue and issue 8 the team that keeps going with this uh, presumably, you know, with the same story or at least the same setup, 
is pretty impressive. So it's a shame, as I look here, at least according to Mike's Amazing World, it doesn't look like this has ever been reprinted. I thought it had. I thought it. I thought there was a trade not that long ago. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe there is. Possibly. I, I don't. I don't know how much Mike is maintaining that site at this point. Oh, yeah. The last time we spoke to him, he was talking about retiring. Uh, you know, he was going to keep the site up, but I think he was going to stop update. Excuse me, updating, because uh, anybody who has never spoken to Mike does not realize how many hours of his life he put into that thing. Right. Oh, I, can, I believe me, I appreciate him. I really do. Oh, you know what? Here we go, right here. It's on Amazon. Black Panther Epic Collection. Now, these Epic Collections, I, I can vouch for these, because uh, I had the um, Iron Fist one. They are nice, man. They are they are really really nice. The the reprint on them is incredible. Uh, it says Black Panther Epic Collection Panthers Rage, and uh, according to the little blurb here on uh, Amazon, it collects Fantastic Four issues fifty two and fifty three, and then material uh, presumably the the Black Panther story from Jungle Action six through twenty four. So you know what? That kind of answers another question that I was going to ask you if you if you knew the answer to Paul is. Um, so as I look at the list of issues here on Mike's Amazing World, it looks like it was <clears throat> a different character for the first four issues. It looks it like it might Thangar. be. Oh, okay. And then issue five is the Black Panther, but it's not by any of these creators. It was that's, a story by. That's Roy a reprint Thomas. of the Avengers issue that oh, introduced right. the Man Ape. You're right. I'm looking at that here. So this was the, for all intents and purposes, this was the first issue of this arc. Yes. At first, or again, I think it was really the first solo story of his. Uh, oh, okay. You know, I th you had Fantastic Four 52 and 53, and then you had that Avengers issue, which focused on him, which I'm a little surprised isn't in this epic collection, because you would think that would be the next one between Fantastic Four and Jungle Action. And then, obviously, there were Avengers issues with him, but those, you know, these were the key the key Black Panther issues. Well, where does that Kirby run factor in? Because didn't Kirby do like a <laughs> six issue something or other? Kirby did... They, they gave Panther his solo series when Kirby came back. I don't know what the gap was between Jungle Action and Panther's solo series. I don't think it was very long. Uh, but but Kirby, being Kirby, just totally disregarded everything that went on in Jungle Action and started his own storyline. Okay, it says here January 77. So it came out October 76 was the first Kirby. It, did he do all... Well, this says it ran 15 issues. Did he do all 15? No, no I don't he think did not. he did. Because I, I was thinking it was only a six-issue either mini or it only lasted six issues. Yeah, Kirby did issue six... Seven. Okay, he was on it longer than I thought he was then, because I thought it was only like six issues. Yeah, yeah but, see, he, I heard but he the didn't same stay for the whole 15. There right, were definitely no. issues later in the run that were by others. It, it looks here like he, it was to issue 12, and then at 13 it changes. Oh, Jerry Bingham. Hmm, I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah, with issue 13 it changes to Ed Hannigan as the writer and Jerry Bingham. Damn, Jerry Bingham inked by Gene Day. I bet you that's gorgeous. I'll have to hunt that up. Yeah, they did the they did the last three issues of the series. Now the Hannigan uh, writer Bingham. 
today as the as the arts. From everything I understand, that I really need to sit down and do a reading project with it. But from everything I understand, the definitive Panther stuff is the Christopher Priest series. I started that, and I don't. I couldn't tell you why I I didn't go a whole long ways with it. But uh, I started that right around the time that the movie was either coming out or had just come out, and I I liked it. But at the same rate, I didn't quite get what the big hullabaloo was all about. Because I'd heard how great it was and everything. Maybe it gets a lot better or a lot more interesting. But it was just kind of one of those, like, man, this is okay. But it wasn't it wasn't blowing me away. You know what I mean? Mm. But it was Chris Eberle from Comic Geek Speak, who's been on a couple of times with me, uh, he raves about that one. He absolutely loves that series. I think that is his favorite series, period. Hmm. And and it's it was kind of on his recommendation that I kept feeling I really need to sit down and read this through, and he it, when we talked about it he had said yeah you can find issues you know in the fifty cent bins, it's not that hard to right. put it together. But well, I wonder if that's still true though because um, I had you know as an as an actual physical issue I had the first issue of that. And when the movie was out, I, I popped it up on eBay just to see what it would go for, and I, I got a pretty decent penny out of it. So, well, the movie definitely get, made the character more high profile. Oh yeah, uh, I, well, I especially think. with the Oscar not and all that. And I, I, it's not a character that I've read everything by, and like I said, the, the definitive run, as far as I understand, is one I haven't read. Uh, but it is one that I've always found fascinating. I've always enjoyed what I did read of the character, and I, I just liked the fact that he was, yeah, he, he wasn't your typical Marvel superhero. He, he was different. He was the, you know, the, the king of, a, of an African nation. So, you know, you don't get too much different than your typical hero with that. Uh, so, so I, I always that, found the character to be just, you know, worth worthwhile. So on that subject, one thing that, that kind of confused me about this issue is... For one, like I say, it feels like we're coming in in the in the middle of a story as opposed to this being the first chapter because the threat's already in place. Now I kind of like this. I mean, knowing that that nope, there wasn't anything that preceded this. This is the first chapter. I kind of like that because you dive straight into the action and it's it's not giving you a whole lot of preamble or setup. It's just here we go, folks. And I kind of like that. Um, but one thing I couldn't help but notice in this, now maybe this is the movie coloring my perceptions a bit, but even in the comics, I thought that um, Wakanda was supposed to be this this advanced society that outwardly looked like, you know, just, you know, your, your, your stereotypical, maybe even slightly racist perception of, of you know, uh, African tribal living, but just beneath the surface, they were actually, you know, like this techocracy, what is it, techocracy, you know, where it was like Coruscant or something, you know, with, with tech was everywhere and was, was integrated into it. And I, I didn't feel any of that in this issue. Even when they go into, like, the royal palace and everything, it's it's almost like they're in, like a, like, a Mayan temple or something, as opposed to, I don't see any, like, machinery i don't see any kirby machines or you know what i mean it just didn't feel technologically advanced at all it felt very 
you know, African primitive. And so I'm one. I was just wondering, have I got the wrong impression here, or what's, no, up, what's I, up with it? I think your impression is right. And I'm, you know, again, I'm not, I don't want to put myself out there as being an expert on the Black Panther because, as much as I really enjoy the character, I'm not an expert. But I think they initially paid. Uh, lip service to them being advanced but they didn't really show it and I think that's something that developed later on that they were you know much more advanced than they appeared on the outside uh, but in the in, in, in this they, they, they seem almost backwards or didn't they show that I think in the, in the Fantastic Four issues they kind of showed it a little bit and also even in the, the in that issue of the Avengers with the Man-Ape they showed that you know while we do have our tribal customs and you know we've kept that alive culturally but we are much more advanced than we appear on the outside but this this particular series doesn't seem to have embraced that so much I got you okay uh you know I I think Kirby actually brought them a little bit more back to that you know Kirby to describe his series as best as I can remember, it was it was more of you know an adventure series. It had more more to uh, more in common with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark than it did with uh, you know what what you'd think of as typical Black Panther. Uh, so, in the characters had various iterations, I guess, as far as how he's been presented. But again, I've, I I think the one thing that I've always had trouble acclimating myself to, and they hit on it in this issue pretty hard, is how could you be in the United States being an adventurer with the Avengers and be the king of a nation in Africa? You know, right. that, that just doesn't, you know, the two just don't play together well. And so, you know, I think McGregor tried to address that here by having his underlings very critical of him and how he's allowed things to to fester there without his con you know being on control uh, in control of it so i think that's that's a big factor and that opens the door for eric killmonger to come in and try and you know take over i don't know how fresh a concept that would have been at this time you said this is what 73 mm -hmm. so i don't know how how fresh a concept that would have been then but having read some other uh black panther stuff you know other appearances and like i say the beginning of that christopher priest run and everything and then having read you know over the course of my life a ton of aquaman that was something where i felt like oh god this again you know because i have seen that and i've seen it and seen it. i think there's even other characters who i'm blanking oh well, well they did it with yeah i was gonna say they've done it with with submariner quite a bit yeah and uh and i think even wonder woman to a to a lesser degree you know the whole thing of you know torn between two worlds you know you're you're trying to serve two masters type of thing and i don't know but I, I will tell you, I really liked this. I really did. Now, in fairness, a lot of the reason I like this so much is the art is just unreal. I, I love this. I, I think it's beautiful. And I was really trying to wrap my head around, like, why do I like this so much? And you know, beyond it's the Butler fact that, and Klaus well, Jansen. Well, yeah. I mean, beyond, but I mean, beyond that fact that who it is. I finally hit upon it. This really reminds, especially on page five, the the death scene where Black Panther frees the old man, and the old man, you know, dies talking to him. Essentially, 
the just the layout, the use of color, the use of zip-a-tone right there. You know what that really reminds me of? And, of course, the African setting really reminded me of um, Supernatural Thrillers number five, which was the origin of The Living Mummy. Mm. I loved that character, and I, and I loved that origin uh, issue. It's one of my favorite single issues of all time. And this just kind of took me back to that because it had a very similar vibe because the um, the living mummy you know of course bef- you know because there's a lot of flashbacks in that story to you know his life before he was mummified and you know he was a, an African prince and so it had a lot of the same vibe and the same look to it and I, I really like that it's it's just gorgeous and that's also Rich Buckler right yeah no, yeah yeah that's what I mean not and not uh, was, not Klaus uh, Janssen. The inker on that, no. I, just, I just punched up on my phone on my database. It's Frank Chiamonti did the inking of yeah. that issue. Yeah, it's beautiful, though. Really nice stuff. But, yeah, I like this. I, I like this enough that I'm in, intrigued to actually go further. And what I thought was really neat was I didn't, you know, I didn't, I totally didn't catch this at the time, but the movie is actually really faithful to this because you've got the same villain... And I remember watching the Black Panther movie, and one of the things that was a little bit off-putting to me was the villain having those weird, like, bumps all over him. Because I jokingly referred to him as being ribbed for her pleasure, you know? (laughs) He just looked kind of ridiculous to me. But, you know, you look at his look here in the comics, and I think that was a nod to this spiky look that he's got here without being, you know, that overt or, or kind of ridiculous looking, frankly. Well, my and understanding I, is that was supposed to be, every one of those bumps was supposed to represent a kill. That every time uh, he killed somebody, he had something like, you know, they, they'd cut him or whatever to create a scar that would cause one of those bumps. Huh. Okay. That was that was my understanding of it. I I'm, I can't tell you where I got that understanding from, but I think that's the case. But I, you know, the whole the fight at the waterfall, you know, right out of the movie and everything, right. and uh, you know the plunge, oh, you know, where he actually throws T'Challa off the waterfall, you know, presumably to his death. So I liked that. I mean, I, I can only assume that you know they got some of these ideas from this particular story, and I, I think that's cool. I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I think this story I, put I, uh, Don McGregor back in the spotlight a little bit, and and I followed Don on Facebook, and uh, to his credit, he was very, very uh, generous with praise to Rich Buckler uh, about this series. He he, you know, he would accept people's compliments and he would always steer them to rich as well and he was always referencing rich in his in his comments and that was you know while rich was still alive and since he passed and i i felt very very uh complimented because i had uh made a comment to uh to don about rich and his work and after Rich passed away, he wrote some sort of like an article on Facebook or whatever, and he quoted me in it. And and I, I just, you know, like, that really made me feel good. That's cool. Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, from my experience, my limited experience back and forth with him, and I have had some, but Don McGregor seems to be a real gentleman, and I, I respect him, and I'm, I'm happy to read stuff that I enjoy as much as I do uh, by somebody who can build that level of respect in me. 
Right. So that's, you know, it, it, it just it, it makes this better on levels for me. So I, I you know, I, I was looking forward to covering this one for that reason. And I, I think, you know, I, I do think it's it's good on both levels. I don't think it's, I think the artwork is beautiful in here for the most part. Like I said, there's that one shot of the Panther's face I don't like. Uh, but other than that, I think the artwork is all top-notch in here. And, uh, you know, it's very moody at points, and the action sequences are well laid out. You know, Buckler knew how to put together an action sequence. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, and, and he, uh, you know, he, he was, the criticism he had, I think, is overblown. He knew how to tell a story. The swiping thing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, frankly, it pisses me off when people, you know, focus on that and not, you know, the guy, I, 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 I've seen it blown up to a, to a degree where I, I'm a, what I really fear is that, it, that it's making the impression that that's all he was or that's all that he did. And to me, it, it really does him a supreme disservice because, I mean, you look at this and it's, it's just gorgeous top to bottom. It's it's beautiful. So yeah, and, and you I, know what? I, I really hope that doesn't become his, you know, what he he's yeah, you don't want that to be his legacy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, many artists, many of the artists who we love, are inspired by things they saw. Whether it's other artwork or photographs that they've seen, or I know you know, uh, not to compare myself to these people because that's absolutely not fair to them, but. You know, over the years when I fancied myself as an artist, I have a little wooden figure that you can move him and, and put him in positions to help you to kind of, you know, if you're drawing somebody in that position, you can kind of put it in and, and give it, help yourself to find the perspective. So, you know, just in general, artists copy from what they see right. all the time. So for him to take different shots and ape them in some way but then put them together to make a story it still takes talent to do that it's not sitting there with a with a piece of onion skin and, and tracing it you know that's not what he was doing right so i feel that the criticism is way overblown and and I, it bothers me to some extent too and i don't want that to be his legacy and i i hate that we end up falling into this conversation periodically because of that but i just feel like we need to be the voice against that because too many people are the voice in favor of it. Absolutely. Well said. I, yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. But, you know, again, guy, I, I think this particular issue, to me, stands out as being pretty high quality in both the artwork and the story. Uh, you know, this, this, this story itself is only 13 pages, I think. Um, so figure, eight, eight, 18 according to this but that might be taking ads into account too well the, I mean I, I'm working off a digital copy and it's 15 pages and we have the cover which is one and then we have the uh, map of the land of Wakanda which is another and the rest of it is all story so there's 13 right. pages okay. of actual yep. story 13. yep you're right so it's, it's yeah, very the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's very short but there's a lot in there but you don't feel like you're rushed through it. I like the fact that you start right on a note of action. You know, you, you, you're thrust into the story, you're thrust into what's going on, but you never feel lost with it. Uh, this character of Monica Lynn, I, I didn't recall her, but she was apparently introduced during the uh, 
the Sons of the Serpent story in uh, the Avengers, which was around 67 or so, maybe early 70s, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, numbers of the, of the issue, not the uh, years. Uh, right. So she was introduced then, and I guess, you know, they carried her in here uh, with it. So, you know, there was, there was a nexus to her. She wasn't just thrown out of nowhere. But they're giving him a backstory, and they're giving him a supporting cast, you know. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on, like I said, and I think it's very compelling. It, it reminded me a little bit, if you remember, when they first gave Namor his own solo series. I don't know if you read those Tales to Astonish issues, but... Right off the bat, they had him rescue uh, Vashti, his, uh, his his confidant that that would you know an advisor. Uh, right. And and it reminded me of the se- of the the scene in this where he rescues the man in the cage. <laughs> but in this one, the man dies. I, I kind of pictured him as becoming an advisor to him until he died, and then it's like, okay, that's not <laughs> happening. Uh, but it, it, you know, there was a little bit of a similarity there. And then when you consider, you know, there's a similarity of the Submariner being, you know, the king king of his uh, domain, and and that he's gone a lot. So you know, there's a lot of parallels there. And I think it's a, it's a common storyline in these issues with the Black Panther and with the Submariner and probably with Aquaman and uh, you know Wonder Woman is that you know they go away so someone else tries to seize power while they're gone. I think that's a common storyline. Yeah, yeah. Lord knows I've seen that a lot with uh, with Aquaman and the Submariner with Krang and Atuma. Yep. It's not the Tuma, or or <laughs> even uh, Black Panther and the Man Ape. So you know, there's a there's a lot. In fact, that is my early prediction as to what Black Panther two will be. Uh, is that it's going to be you know there was five years between uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame that he was missing because he had turned to dust during that time. Right. So during the five years that he was gone, I expect that uh, M'Baku, the man-ape, will have taken over over Wakanda as the king. So now he's coming back five years later, and he's going to say, hey, that's my throne, and we're going to see a battle for power between the two of them. I don't know that that's going to be the only storyline, but it's certainly, I think, going to be something we're going to see in there. Right. I'm a little surprised, just to to go further with the Black Panther, that over the years it seems that his prime villain has really been Claw, and for them to yeah. kill him off so easily in the first movie surprised me a lot because I expected him to, you know, be a more uh, substantial force in his movies. Yeah, he was just kind of unceremoniously dispatched i thought which yeah i was surprised by that as well i thought that was yeah, it was surprising mm-hmm. anything more on this one um no i don't think so I, I i really did enjoy it i thought it was good stuff the the art's gorgeous and uh and the story was uh you know while i, I again i was a little confused about the the wakanda thing uh i really enjoyed it i thought it was it was a lot of fun it's neat to look back at you know at this source material and, and kind of see the 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 um, 
it sounds like I'm making a terrible pun. I was going to say the roots, but you know, the roots of, of where certain things have come from with these characters. Um, you know, we, I noticed the same thing. We were talking about um, Luke Cage a while back and, and seeing, you know, where the characters that, that, you know, they've adapted from his uh, comics to the, you know, the two seasons that he's had, uh, you know, with his Netflix show. And it's the same thing here. It's it's. I, I like this. You know, looking back and seeing that, okay. You know, they may have had a, a, a dated look or a kind of a bizarre look, but at the same rate, they, you know, they took that and tried to to be semi faithful to it and update it and everything. So I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Killmonger both looks very awesome and very goofy at the same time. I mean that. That weird leotard thing that you know he's wearing from the from the waist down just I don't know it looks it looks really weird. Yeah, but uh, it's all it's cool at the same time. It's both it's both cool and and just really goofy at the same time. Well, goofy but threatening. But yeah, yeah that that splash page panel fourteen where he's where he's swinging the you know the the spiked bell is just man that that's awesome. That's a really really good piece of art. I like that. Yeah, I do too. I agree. So I guess it's time we'll rate this one. Uh, I like the cover, but I feel like it's just kind of a little typical of the era. I don't feel it's breaking any new ground. It's not doing anything new and different. Uh, It just feels, I don't know why, it just feels very typical to me. Uh, And it's well drawn, but I think it's just, uh, you know, like a solid B. It's not... Like, I feel like it could have been an A, but it's just not. Uh, The interior art, on the other hand, uh, it's really nice. I really like... Almost every panel is, is, I think, really well rendered. I think the storytelling is really good. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot going on. There's action sequences. And I think, you know, Buckler really just laid it all out so well. It's he also creates a mood when when Panther's bringing back the uh, the body of that man, or when actually when the man actually passes away. Uh, you know, and and I give Jansen some credit for this too because the you know you pointed out the zipper tone and and some of the lighting and all of that, and I think that's Jansen's doing. Uh, the battle sequence with the with the leopard is really well done. Yeah, uh, and and you know he's he's got some interesting things going on with the panels too. Uh, the, you know the waterfall is actually uh, running over some of the panels in that on that page. So there's there's a lot really going on here. So I I feel like I got to give this an A. I just do. I think it's really nice. Story wise, I think it. You know, there is a lot of expository language in here, but again, we're getting a lot of story in 13 pages. I think, you know, McGregor really had to exposit some in order to uh, to move this along and, and get us to understand what was going on. So I, I'm not going to fault him for that. Uh, you know, we, we, we get a feeling for his home life to some extent. We get a feeling for the problems that exist there. Uh, the conflict that develops. We, we know that this Killmonger is, uh, we, we know he's really bad news. Uh, you know, the fact that he, he destroyed a village just as a diversion. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot there. So I'm going to say an A minus on the story. I'm not going to quite put it at where I have the artwork, but I really like it. And overall, I'm going to give the book an A minus. Cool. 
I think we're going to be pretty close. Uh, I agree with you on the cover. It's not that it's not dynamic. It's not that it's not eye-catching. Um, at the same rate, there's something about it that just says, yeah, I don't think I would have picked this up. You know, if I'd seen it on the stands, I don't even think I would pick it up to even thumb through it. It just, I look at it and I go, eh, that just, this doesn't grab me. Which is a shame, because as soon as you turn the cover, it's like, wow, you know? So, and it's weird, because at least one of the cover artists, you know, is is Buckler, you know, one of the interior artists. So I'm not sure what it is. I don't know what's lacking. I don't know if it's the layout, I don't know if it's the colors, I don't know if it's the inking. It just, yeah, somehow it just doesn't grab me. So, cover-wise, I, I think I'd go, I don't know, like, like, B minus, uh, yeah, B uh, minus C plus somewhere in that area. I mean, it, it's better than average. It just doesn't it doesn't blow me away. However, the interior art completely blows me away. I, I love this. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I have only the the minorest of quibbles with it, and most of it just there's there's a little bit of funny anatomy here and there. Not a lot of it, but a, a couple of places. Um, I agree with you on uh, on how T'Challa looks without his mask. I noticed that right away. I thought, wow, that, that doesn't look like what I thought T'Challa looked like. So I thought that was a little bit odd. Um, and then I thought it was a little tough to tell some of the characters apart. And I, I thought a little bit better job could be done, you know, making you understand who was who and what their role was. And part of that, of course, goes to uh, to McGregor, I think, in, in the writing aspect as well. But, I mean, as you say, there's a lot going on here. And, uh, you know, for this being the, the opening chapter and all, you know, he's, he's trying to keep the action, he's trying to live up to the title. He's trying to keep the action going while also setting up, you know, what exactly is going on in the whole story and everything. But uh, art-wise, uh, I agree with you. It's an A. I so bad want to give it an, an A+. Plus. I, I do think there's a little bit of room for improvement here and there. But overall, I mean, this is just beautiful artwork. Uh, and then story-wise, uh, story-wise, I think I'm going to go a, a, a solid B. It's a really good story. Um, I think it is a little wordy, as you say. And I, I think a few things could have uh, been explained a little bit better. But overall, really solid. And uh, would you say A minus? I think A minus is a is a really good grade for this. I, I think it's a, a really solid book, and uh, it makes me want to read the rest of the chapters of this because I was intrigued by it. Well, when you, when you read the first issue of a storyline, the fact that it makes you want to read more, you know, I think that's saying it's accomplishing its goal. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I liked this a lot. This is a good choice. All right, so that'll do it for Jungle Action. I guess now we'll move on to your book. All right, so we're going to switch it up. We're going to move forward in time. We're going to go to uh, DC Comics for this one. Uh, so I have Batman Confidential number 13. This is the uh, March 2008 issue. It was on sale uh, January 9th, 2008, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Uh, cover on this one is uh, drawn by the uh, folks that are also the interior art team. So you've got Rags Morales and Mark Farmer. And this cover depicts uh, Batman, or who you think is Batman, snatching Commissioner Gordon off of a roof, rooftop with his little zipline thing. And uh, we see it's, it's like crisis-y looking skies. It's a red sky behind him. And we see an inset 
of what appears to be Batman with uh, with a target reticle over his face. So it's kind of it's an interesting cover, and you're like, hmm, what's going on here? And uh, it's uh, it says on the on the cover, it says new story arc starts here, and the, it's titled at least according to the cover, it says the Batman's Wrath. So an interesting uh, interesting cover. I'm not overly crazy about it, but it's it's okay. It's serviceable. Uh, original cover price on this one was two dollars and ninety nine cents. So despite what the cover says, the story is actually entitled Wrath Child, and it's written by uh, Tony Bedard, who I like a lot. I'm I'm actually something of a fan of Tony Bedard. I like his writing. So the tale begins in Gotham City with the shooting death of a visiting Scotland Yard police inspector by a mysterious figure who looks uh, remarkably like a purplish version of the Batman. Shortly, Commissioner James Gordon summons the real Cape Crusader by means of the bat signal, and the two discuss the murder, and Gordon shows Batman a photo from a security camera at the crime scene, a photo that seems to show the impossible, the inspector being killed by a ghost from Gordon and Batman's shared past, a dead man. Elsewhere, at the Tompkins Community Center and Free Clinic, some thugs are hassling the owner, Leslie Tompkins, when a pretty young woman, Miss Hudson, stumbles onto the scene, and the thugs, recognizing Hudson, beat a hasty retreat. It seems that Hudson's father was some kind of uh, mob big shot, and her old reputation as a quote-unquote mafia princess is enough to dissuade the thugs from messing with her. Hudson and Tompkins leave the clinic and, outside, are confronted by the Batman who is looking for information, specifically how Hudson's boyfriend faked his own death. Later, as Batman returns to the Batcave, he finds Alfred Pennyworth already there with a tray of food. He updates the butler on the case, mentioning that his questioning of Hudson turned up nothing as she honestly didn't know anything and he is faced with the unlikely scenario that he is dealing with a copycat of some uh, some sort. As he tells Alfred this, he takes the tray of food from his manservant, only to realize that the meal isn't for him. Uh, and then we see an off-panel voice saying, Not a big be- uh, peanut butter and jelly fan, huh? And Batman turns to see Dick Grayson, Nightwing, in all his early 80s Tales of the Teen Titans era costume glory. I really like this part, because this kind of sets the the tone of where is this happening because batman confidential is kind of an out of continuity uh series uh this was a time period where batman and nightwing had a very uneasy standoffish relationship having had a bad split when the old batman and robin partnership dissolved Dick is here because uh, news of the death of the inspector triggered a memory of the time Bruce sent him away after an assault on Alfred and an assassination attempt on Commissioner Gordon. While he'd been given a cover story by Batman and Pennyworth, he always knew that it was false and that they were hiding something from him. Alfred and Batman thus relate the now classic story of the player on the other side from Batman special number one. This was uh, January 1984. It's a tale by Mike W. Barr, Michael Golden, and Mike DiCarlo. In that tale, we learn that on the exact same night that young Bruce Wayne witnessed the murder of his parents at the hands of a criminal, thus creating the dread avenger of the night, the Batman, 
elsewhere, another young boy witnessed the death of his parents at the hands of a police officer and thus became Batman's opposite number, his mirror counterpart, if you will, the Wrath. Although to this day, I, and I've learned this over the years, a lot of other fans will always think of him as the Wraith. It's, I have, I'm making a conscious effort to call him the Wrath because all my life I've thought of this guy as the Wraith, and I still think that's a better name for him. But anyway, uh, the cop responsible for killing the Wrath's parents was a young rookie named James Gordon. Uh, now, this actually ended up creating some continuity problems, as I vaguely recall. I was trying to remember the whole deal with that, but uh, I don't know that it's really worth going into. But I, I just remember at the time, or maybe slightly after it came out with the crisis and all, I remember there being some sort of continuity snafu or whatever. But anyway, uh, the main plot of Batman Special Number 1 is Batman attempting to foil the Wrath's attempts to assassinate Gordon and thus avenge his parents' death, meaning the Wrath's parents' death. Uh, this, of course, eventually leads to a confrontation in which the two opposites confront and battle each other, and during the tussle, which was fairly epic, by the way, I mean, come on, it's Batman by Michael Golden, the Wrath is accidentally set ablaze and plummets to his death from a rooftop. So, obviously, the question now is, who is the Wrath, this new Wrath, or is it the same one somehow survived? We don't know. Nightwing desperately wants in on the case, still sensing that Batman is holding things back from him, but he is ordered to stay out of it. Elsewhere, as she arrives at her apartment, Miss Hudson calls Leslie Tompkins to let her know that she arrived home safely. After hanging up, she is confronted by a mysterious figure she at first mistakes for the Batman uh, come to further interrogate her. But stepping out from the shadows, the figure reveals himself to be the Wrath. Hello, Grail, he says. Did you miss me? Later, at the World Law, uh, World Law Enforcement Summit, Gordon addresses the assembled officers and tells them that, unfortunately, due to safety concerns with his cop killer running loose, he is calling off the summit and sending everyone to the airport as a precaution. Angrily, a Hispanic cop, Captain Rodriguez, publicly defies Gordon and storms out of the assembly. Shortly, he is confronted and shot by the wrath in a parking garage. As the killer checks on his victim, however, the corpse, quote-unquote, springs to life and kicks him in the face. Suddenly, Rod Rodriguez is towering over the sprawled villain and ripping open his shirt to reveal the yellow oval and black, uh, excuse me, the bat symbol of the Dark Knight, complete with impacted slugs stuck to his presumably armored chest. He says, you and I are going to have a little talk, says Batman, soon as I knock out half your teeth. Next issue, Payback. And you know, for a story that I still think never needed a sequel, this ain't half bad. My my only real problem with the story uh, as a whole is that you know I felt and I still feel it, it's incredibly predictable. I, I called right in the very first issue, and I mean, don't get me wrong, this is not me singing my own praises. I, I'm usually not very good with these detective-type stories and, you know, whodunits, and, and so I usually just kind of roll with it and, and wait for things to unfold, but with this one, I, I'm pretty proud of myself that I called it right out of the gate exactly what was going on. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that hasn't read it. I'd really like you to, to check out the story, especially if you're a fan of Player on the Other Side, but um, if you have half an idea what's going on here, you're probably right. 
So anyway, uh, it just seemed uh, completely obvious to me who the Wrath was, and, and like I said, I turned out to be right. But despite that, however, um, it isn't a bad story. It has some genuinely really good moments. Uh, it's very respectful of the classic original, and I think Bedard even tries, I, I don't know how successful he was, but he tries to fix some of the little continuity problems um, that popped up from the original story. But, you know, again, he has kind of varying degrees of success with that. But uh, my, my biggest bitch with this issue, um, and, it, and this goes for all four issues that make up this story, it actually ran from Batman Confidential, it was 13, 14, 15, and 16 makes up the whole story. Um, it's, it's not a gripe with Bedard or, or the art team or really anything to do with the story per se, it's just kind of how comics are done these days. Where in the holy hell is there a footnote? There's not. There's no footnote in, in any of these issues telling the reader to seek out the source story for this. So if you're if you're not born knowing, you know, or lived through it or whatever, if you have not ever discovered the player on the other side, then you'd be completely lost in this story. I mean, yeah, they kind of recap it for you, but I, I don't think the recap is enough to really give you the meat and make you appreciate that story because that's a classic batman story it's a great batman it's one of the all-time classics for, for a lot of people and not a single footnote to refer you to it and i just think that's wrong it's it's just a crime you know so anyway you know i, I looked this up and you know that story takes place 24 years before this one you know when it, when it you know by publishing date so again, I mean, that that's a whole generation of readers that, you know, presumably don't know anything about the original story, may have never discovered it. And that just, I don't know, that to me that you're not servicing your readership, your fan base or anything when you don't throw them a bone like that. Um, but anyway, lastly on that subject, uh, this whole story uh, has been reprinted, has been collected, I should say. Um, in 2000, it came out in December of 2009. It's, it's dated 2010. It was called Batman: The Wrath uh, Trade Paperback. Not only does that include this whole four-issue story, the the sequel, but it also includes the original player on the other side, uh, reprinted in in a really nice uh, reprinting. And uh, I think they recolored it too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you know, you can get the entire story if you buy it that way, which maybe that's why they published it this way with no footnotes knowing they were going to collect it but again that seems kind of shit to me for people that you know would have bought it in the single issue format but anyway uh what did you think of this and were you familiar with the uh the original story i'm totally bummed out by it because i thought <laughs> he was named the wraith <laughs> See, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't the only one, right? Yeah, you were not. And when you pointed it out, I was like, oh, shit. And I read this issue, and I still saw a Wraith every time and the, the name came up. Now, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to sound self-serving like I'm just trying to save my own face here, but I think the Wraith's a better name for him. I and do, I, too. I, honestly, all these years, that's what I thought the character's name was, and I, I don't even remember, somebody pointed it out to me, I think I heard it on, a, on another podcast or something, and I, I'm almost positive that's how I learned it, because I remember thinking at the time, like, why the hell do they keep calling, because it took me a while to figure out even who they were talking about, 
they were they were talking about I think it was a show about like good Batman villains or some stupid thing like that. And I remember them talking. I'm like, who the hell is the Wrath? And I kept thinking it was the spectery looking guy on one of the old Batman covers, like from around the 200s or something. There's one where like this specter looking guy is reaching out to Batman like a ghost or something. And that's why I thought they were talking about. It. And when I realized that it was you know, the player on the other side, I was like, he, that, he, he's the Wraith, not the Wrath. So I looked it up, and sure enough, all those years I'd been wrong. It was the Wrath, but uh, I don't know. I still think Wraith's a better name for it. <laughs> I like it better, but again, that may just be familiarity. Yeah. But, but I don't know. The Wrath just sounds, I don't know, it sounds like 90s. I mean, I get why, I guess, he would be called the Wrath, because... He's supposed to be Batman's opposite number, you know. He's he's operating from pure anger, and and you know he's the you know the wrath of this child, you know. That's I I get it, but I don't. I, I'm sorry. I just I don't think it works, frankly, you know. But I don't. You know, what do you call an anti-Batman? You know, I, I you know, in, in their defense, I don't know that there's really you know a well, better name for it. I think the Wraith would have worked. Yeah, <laughs> I just think the name worked. That's yeah. what I thought it was. I did have this original 1984 issue. I don't know if I still have it. When I did some re-evaluating on my books, I fi- I went through all the Marvel ones, but I haven't gone through all my DC, so they're not in my database on my phone right now, and I can't look to see if I still have it. I think I probably do. Uh, and I had read it, whatever, 30 years ago, and I don't think I read it since then. Uh, I do remember, you know, liking it at the time. It was a Mike Barr story by uh, with Mike Golden art. Uh, you it's, can't go too far still, wrong on that. It still holds up. I, I reread it not long ago. Um, the only thing for me that that doesn't quite hold up, and I, I feel really bad saying this because I used to really like the guy. Is uh, is the Mike DiCarlo inks? I don't know how or why exactly I I. Um, soured on Mike DiCarlo but I've really soured on him I see stuff by him now and more often than not I come off feeling like he kind of I don't want to say ruined what he inked but it just it, it's like he he brought it down a level you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why I feel that way exactly because I used to really be enamored of the guy but I just I don't I just don't dig his stuff these days his, his aesthetic just isn't my aesthetic you know what I mean Right. But that said, uh, the story holds up really well, and I always lamented the fact that he died at the end of that story because I, I thought it was really good. And I thought he could have been a potentially, uh, you know, a really good uh, foil for Batman. But in, in you know, on the other side though is you know the thought that if he had lived, then there's always a risk that he could have turned into you know a Venom or. or you know, God forbid, the Joker. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. they they would have done him to death because I I could be wrong, but I always thought he was pretty popular. You know that that story was pretty popular. So if he had survived, they probably would have found a way to to run him into the ground. You know, and that would be a shame because I think it would take away the you know something from the original story. Which is why I was really nervous when I heard this was coming out. I think this was at a time when I was still kind of keeping an eye on like solicits and stuff. And I happened to learn that this was coming out, that they were doing a sequel to that story. And I remember thinking, oh, no, really? But then I couldn't resist picking it up. So I, I did. I you know, I bought it in the single issues as it was coming out. And uh, overall, like I said, I, I like it. But, it, you know, 
it's it's one of those things where you walk away going, okay, that was fun. It wasn't a train wreck, but you know, I didn't need it. You know, you didn't need it, but you know, it's you know, basically, it's a story that didn't need to be told, Um, and it's not really breaking new ground to speak of. But it's an enjoyable read, and. I did finish off this issue and think, you know what, I got to read the next issue. So, again, you know, as we said with the last book that we covered, if the first issue of your story makes people want to read the second issue of your story, you're doing something right. Right. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's, I think it, it's a fairly quick read, but, you know, again, that's part of the error. Right. And uh, it, it just, you know, like I said, I felt it, it felt compelling to me. I thought the artwork was, was very nice. I, I really, you know, I, I think it... I'm not the hugest Rags Morales fan, and I feel like I should like him more than I do, but I, I often don't like his facial renderings. It's everything else I think I'm pretty good with on his artwork. But there's something about the way he draws around eyes and everything that I just don't care for. Uh, But overall, I think this was a well-drawn issue, so I have no problem with that. I think the story is intriguing. I kind of like the fact that, you know, Batman and Alfred are sitting there saying the same thing, uh, you know, that that we are. Like, well, how did this guy come back? And, you know, is it the same guy? Is it somebody else? What's going on? And you right. know, I, I like that aspect of it, that, you know, they're not necessarily uh, just saying, hey, you know, we're characters in a comic book, so we expect people to come back. Right. So I, I like that. I, you know, I, I just, I think it was a good read. I really do. I like this. I, I thought they did a pretty good job of, of capturing the the time frame, you know, the era of when this is supposed to be happening. I think Batman's slightly darker than he should be for this time he, he's a little he's a little too modern batman if you know what i mean but but not so much that it took me out of it, it it's it's still you know believable and conceivable that this is taking place when it's supposed to be taking place because that's one of the things i really like about you know the late silver age pre-crisis batman is you know he he wasn't jokey, silly like the TV show, but he wasn't what he's become. You know this this unfallible machine. You know he he's somewhere in the middle. Well, my my favorite incarnation of Batman in the comics was the uh, Denny O'Neill Neil Adams Batman. The right. Way, the way that they portrayed him is the way I picture Batman, both in in appearance and in. Uh, skill set I think it was uh, and, I, and I'm loath to quote the guy but I think it was uh, Grant Morrison that, that summed him up as the what do, they, what do you call him like the 70's love god and I kind of dig that to be honest with you well, he had a little bit of that going that, that, yeah but you know, was, he, he was also the, little, go ahead I'm sorry I, 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 I think we're both going to the same place he's just he, he's a little bit James Bond he's a little bit the shadow he's a little bit you know secret agent man you know whatever and and i yeah that i like that i like it where you know better than than the current you know at least as of the last time i read a current batman story you know where he's he's just this 
you know, he's the smartest man on the planet, and he's 15 steps ahead of everybody, and he's got everything planned out, and he can take down anybody from the Joker to Superman to Galactus, and I'm like, come on, I mean, you, you've, all these things that people say about Superman being boring, now you've made this character boring because nobody can beat him. I, I like it better when, you know, in the 70s and 80s, Batman could get his ass kicked, and sometimes he could get his ass kicked by pretty commonplace thugs, and I, I like that. It, it makes him more believable to me that he could fail. He could take a bullet. He could take an ass whooping once in a while. I, I think it just makes him a more interesting character. I agree. I totally agree with that. I, I don't think, you know, it's one of the things, you know, we, and we've talked about this, probably beating the subject to death at times, but we've <laughs> talked about the fact that people complain about writing Superman because he's too powerful, which I always felt was a cop-out. Mm-hmm. But I it's think totally I think it's it's more true with Batman when you make it he anticipates everything and and you can never catch him by surprise and there's no form of of fighting style that he's not the best at. Right. You know I I, I don't care for that. I don't want that. I want him to have some fallibility that makes him more interesting. It, it's more interesting when you're reading a story to have a threat that you think our hero can't overcome and then find out how he does overcome it anyway. I, so. I think it just makes him... I think it makes him somehow less believable when he's the master of everything. I think Batman is much more believable when, when you approach him with the aspect of He's not the greatest this, he's not the greatest that, is that he has a working knowledge of all these different disciplines. But they've, they've ramped him up to this level to where any one of those disciplines that makes up who he is as a crime fighter, he would have to have started at a very young age and still be pursuing that one discipline in order to be at the level that they, they say, you know, like take martial arts, for example. He's supposed to be like the world's greatest martial artist, knows every move and everything. That would have to be a lifelong dedication to the martial arts. And this was a guy that was supposed to have gone off for like 10 years, learned a few things, and then come back, and now he's kicking criminal ass. How, how in the world could he be the master of every martial art in 10 years? It's just its ridiculous to me. Yeah, Plus, exactly. where the hell did he find time to learn chemistry and, and detective work? And you know, you, So you're supposed to believe that he became this totally well-rounded master of all these things that make up the batman in a 10-year period of wandering the world and it's just no it doesn't work for me I, I i much i have a much easier time believing that you know he he spent some time learning from from great detectives and he spent some time in the far east learning some martial arts and he learned a little here and learned a little there and you know when it was time okay well I, i'm gonna pool what i've learned and uh you know i'm gonna go out and do my best I think that's a much more relatable and, and interesting Batman rather than one that, like, I have mastered every discipline and I cannot be beaten. Well, boring. Yeah, well, the thing is he should have a solid working ability in all of these things because he is the most well-rounded guy in his training. He's he's learned a little bit of jujitsu and a little bit of karate and a little bit of this so that he's good enough to compete with the guy who's the best karate guy because he's got a little bit of everything and he's going to hit that guy with some styles that that guy doesn't know. You know, right. so so he's he's he can be competitive. He can't out karate the best karate guy though, and he right. can't out 
you know, do whatever. You know, you want to tell me he's the world's greatest detective, that he's, you know, the equivalent of Sherlock Holmes? All right, I could, I could probably go with that. But the one area where I accept that he's got to be the best, that he's number one at, is he's the most determined. He's yes, the one okay, who's okay. never going to give up the battle. And right. for that reason, he's going to actually beat out people who are better at him than certain things because he's never, ever going to give up. Right. That's the thing. You know, he's, to me, he's, he's got, you know, the, the, he's got OCD, basically. He's, got, he's compulsive. He cannot let things go. But see, I would rather see that character using that determinedness to overcome his shortcomings in, say, fighting style. Yeah. Than be the master of all martial. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's kind of like you know those moments that we cheer for with with uh, with Chris Evans as Captain America. You know, it, you know there were those times where he was getting a serious beat down. But the guy wouldn't quit. You know, he would just get up and I can do this all day. I'd, I'd kind of like to see Batman more like that. You know, that he occasionally can get his ass just handed to him. But what's he going to do? He's going to climb to his feet. And he's, you know, it's that rage and that determination that's going to keep him on his feet and keep him trying to defeat this foe that may be better than he is. That, to me, is a hell of a lot more interesting than, oh, I've already planned this out 15 steps ahead and you're already beaten before we've even you know begun fisticuffs yeah and i do want him to anticipate and I, things and i want him to have planned things out but i don't want him to be infallible right you know i want him to be a better to me, uh, uh, i want him to be better strategically than i am i just don't want him to be you know again i don't want him to be infallible to me that that got to the point of ridiculousness when uh, when they did the whole hush thing with with him taking down Superman. I'm just like, no. no I, I, I can't stand that, that, that every time they have a fight between him and Superman, he, he ends up the victor. That It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is completely ridiculous. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Nobody's ever going to sell me on that one. That, you you, you want to you tell me, you know, that, that in the comics they have them fight 20 times and one or two times Batman wins because he set some sort of trap that Superman fell into? Okay. But, but you want to tell me every time he wins? No. It's just ridiculous and I can't take it. I think he's a great, great character and he, he plays well in many forms, but the invincible, unbeatable... Nobody can do anything as well as he can. Batman just doesn't do it for me. No, me either. Yeah, that's... Hashtag not my Batman. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Now, this one didn't seem to be that Batman in this book, to get back to what we, where we were where we started from. Right. You know, he, he seems a little confused by what's going on, but he does... You know, he, he, he does seem to be presented kind of the way I would want him to be. He is well-prepared. He is... Uh, very resourceful and he's very determined, but he's not you know, he hasn't figured it all out just yet. Right. So I, I'm I'm pretty cool with that and I, I think you know, that's the way it should be and that's what makes for more interesting reading. I agree. Well, are we ready for grades on this one? Yeah, I think we can. Alright, so cover on this one, uh, I gotta be honest, I'm not real nuts about the cover. I, I do like that if you weren't sure what you were getting into with this, like if you hadn't seen the solicits, if you had no idea who the Wrath was, you'd never read the original story, 
then presumably this cover could be like, ooh, this is, you know, why is Batman snatching Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon off the roof, you know? So it, from that angle, I can see where it's kind of, you know, kinda, could kind of catch you, but I don't know. Just overall, there's there's something about the layout of it I, I'm not real crazy about. It, it, it's okay. It's serviceable. I'd be very curious what the cover of the, uh, of the trade is, whether they use this particular cover or one of the covers to the other issues or, or created an original, I don't know, but it's, it's okay. I'm just not overly enamored of it. I think I would go, uh, I think I'd go a C plus. It's, it's a little bit better than average cover, but that's about all I could really give it. The interior art's really tough for me because, um, I like Rags Morales. I, I think I'm a little higher on him than you are. I really like this stuff. I, I really enjoyed his work on, um, on, uh, I think he worked on Justice Society, you know, either Justice Society or, or JSA or you know, one of those. I think it was J JSA. I think is what he worked on. Uh, I forget, but uh, you know, I, I've you know seen him here and there over the years, and I, and I generally like his stuff. He, to me, he's somewhere between like Brian Bolin. He, he's like Brian Bolin mixed with um, Bernie Wrightson, huh. and and I kind of dig that. But at the same rate, it's it, you know it's not my preferred art style either. It, people look a little a little lumpy somehow, like 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 they're you know made out of dough or, or silly putty or something. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's but you know I, I don't dislike it. There, there's actually the the whole sequence at the uh, the Tompkins Center. You know what that really strongly reminds me of? It reminds me of Creep Show, the adaptation of Creep Show. Hmm. Just in, in the way it's drawn and colored and everything, it really strongly reminds me of that. So I'm getting a serious, like, Bernie Wrightson vibe off of it. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I don't hate it. It's just, it's not really my preferred art style either. So, I, I, you know, art-wise, I think I'd go a... I'd go a B plus. I mean, it's well laid out. It, you know, he's he's very dynamic in his storytelling. I, I like the different angles, and uh, I, I like his. Ex, you know, he's really good at expressions. I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's serviceable. It's just it, it's not my cup of tea exactly. Uh, and then story wise, I, I really like the story. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to separate myself from you know my my lasting impression with this is thanks, but you didn't need to. I'm trying to turn that off and just address the story itself. As the story goes, I, I think it's really well laid out. Um, I don't know what exactly in this first issue triggers me. I've been trying to figure that out. What triggered me to go down the route that I did of going, okay, I know what's going on with this. And, and I've, I've poured over this issue trying to figure out what gave it away, and I still can't quite figure it out. I, I don't know if there even is really something, but I just had a feeling that I knew who this guy was, and as I say, I, I, I turned out to be right at the end of the story. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's fair to take points off for that. I don't know if it's something that the story actually really did give away, or if it just... I've just read one too many damn comic books. I, I don't know which it is. Bite yourself. So, What's that? Bite your tongue too many comments. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes, I mean, honestly, you know, over-familiarization with, you know, with the medium or, or with this genre of the medium sometimes can be a detriment because sometimes you just go, okay, I've read this story before, you know? Yeah, no, I know so, exactly that sort what of you mean. thing. 
Um, but in fairness, I mean, I really like Tony Bedard. Um, he's he's got a really good handle on the characters. He's got a really good handle on, you know, this you know the original story and the setting that it's taking place in. I mean, this really does feel like it, it fits, you know, that that mid '80s pre-crisis Batman world. And uh, and I, so I think that I think that's pretty neat. So story-wise, I, I think I'd give it a solid. Uh, I'll say a B plus. I think I think it's pretty good story-wise. So overall on this, I think my overall grade would uh, would be, uh, I'll say a B. I think it's a, an overall it's a B book. It's it's pretty good, but again with the caveat that uh, you know they didn't they didn't need to do this. It, it's fun for what it is, but ultimately they they I, I kind of wish they just left the original story alone. All right. Well, I I, I have often said that I'm a sucker for sequels because <laughs> if I like an original story, I don't like to just say, okay, that's it, I'm never getting any more. And if they're willing to give me more, I'm, I'm usually willing to take it. Uh, sometimes to my detriment because sometimes sequels are just awful. Right. But, but I thought this was pretty good. So cover-wise, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it, there's anything about it that really makes me feel like I, I need to, to read this story. I think it would have been more interesting to me if I knew from the cover that the Wrath was the villain. Right. You know, just, just seeing uh, what I think is Batman grabbing Commissioner Gordon and seeing what I think is Batman in, uh, you know, in a, in a target uh, says to me this is going to be just a generic story it's in batman confidential it probably doesn't have any real meaning to it so therefore i could skip it and it's okay that's kind of that's kind of what this cover says to me uh so i'm going to give the cover i think it's you know pretty well drawn uh i I particularly like the way the actually the the building looks the the brickwork and everything i think it almost looks like it's photoed uh so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say the cover itself is a c plus it's it's drawn better than average but it doesn't really grab me the interior art as i said i i think i should like rags morales more than i do and i think we have a little disagreement you know you said he draws facial expressions well and my biggest problem with him is the way he draws faces so uh (laughs) i I think he he adds too many superfluous lines that just don't need to be there in faces often so that that's my thing i think that turns me off to him there's just too many hash marks and too many uh extra shadows and things that i just don't feel that are needed uh so other than that i think it's pretty well drawn so i'm kind of going back and forth on where this should be i'm gonna say i'm gonna say a b on the artwork i think you know this area is where it would just be better as far as i'm concerned but it's really pretty well drawn other you know otherwise uh Story-wise, as far as sequels go, I think this is pretty well done. And and you know your your disappointment that they, that they didn't surprise you with the direction, I I don't feel like I have that problem, or at least not yet, because I'd still have to read the rest of it. But I, I don't, I'm I'm not feeling that. So I I think it's pretty well done as far as sequels, a, a sequel that didn't need to be done, but is. And I think they that uh, Bedard did a pretty good job with it. I think, like you said, he had a good handle on the characters. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, a B plus on the story and overall I'll give the book a B minus cool I think we about wound up at the same place then yeah well we often do 
it's you know it's <laughs> sometimes we take different journeys different different routes to get there but we end up in the same place so i guess we'll call it on that that'll be it for tonight or for today whenever you happen to be listening thank you everybody for listening in and uh we'll talk to you next week Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> I just needed to cuddle and you fed me. <laughs> All I needed I mean, was a should... hug.